You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Do you love sci-fi, horror, and fantasy films? Then grab a badge for Otherworlds Film Festival, the country's premier sci-fi film festival. There'll be Q&As, panels, parties, and mixers. Rub elbows with up-and-coming and established filmmakers, as well as like-minded filmgoers. Come celebrate our seventh year, December 3rd through 6th, at the Galaxy Highland in Austin, Texas. Badges are now for sale at otherworldsfilmfest.com. That's otherworldsfilmfest.com. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber-supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to Oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. You know, I've never played Tales from the Loop, but I've been told about it. And when I heard that Amazon was like, yeah, we're going to make a TV series based off a tabletop RPG based on art by a Swedish guy set in America. I was like, this sounds perfect, a natural fit for television. And so I had to review it. And then Justin was like, oh, we should actually bring other people along on that. So that's where we're at here to review. <laughs> it's funny. I didn't even know this was an RPG until after I had seen the entire first season. Uh, I just I, I knew the artwork, and I had seen that bouncing around uh, kind of my environments for a while, but just completely missed the boat on the fact that it was a game. Yeah, I hadn't heard about this at all until we did uh, that Breakfast Pub episode where I think Chris reviewed the trailer. No, I reviewed the trailer, actually. And I'm just like, what is this, and how can I watch this immediately <laughs> when I saw the trailer? Um, you know, I thought it was really avant-garde that they did end it with rolling a d20. That's how you figured out, right, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> There wasn't as many kids as the usual mystery of Tales in the Loop, though, I noticed. <laughs> no, I mean, there were kids in it, but it was definitely there? isn't. So, like, the, this felt very much like a, and this is going to be weird, but like a kid's Black Mirror, like a family-friendly Black Mirror was what I ended up feeling like Tales from the Loop was, just with a lot more emotion. Because every single it- episode was somehow tied to youth or children and the strangeness of adults and like yeah well, that's very fair on that but before we get too far into it, we should do introductions i'm ben because i won't stop talking you can already tell <laughs> with me is justin hey everybody we have aaron hey i'm the guy who everyone took bets on when i cried <laughs> and then we have and then we have tessa who we decided to ruin her first review by being the three of us Boo. I mean, yay. Hey, guys. <laughs> Tessa also has the wonderful luck of being the only one of us to actually play this game. So she has some bearings on this universe. Yeah, a little bit. We played it for my birthday a few years back. Um, some friends DM'd for me and they even had a soundboard and played music and stuff and like did like ambient music and stuff. It was pretty rad. Yeah, before I saw this show, I wouldn't have said much about that. But now that I, now that I've actually seen this show, I'm so jealous. I want to play this so bad now. <laughs> I was going to say my first thought with that is, uh, you know, as cool as that sounds, the music wasn't as good as what was in the show because it's by my fucking favorite composer of all time, Philip Glass, or at least oh, a yeah. chunk of it. 
I kept listening to it. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of piano in this, and it's really pretty. And then when I saw <laughs> Philip Glass, I'm like, oh, of course it's Philip Glass. Yeah, yeah, it's got his handprints all over it. There's no doubting the Philip Glass score once you. Oh, know most it. definitely. But yeah, so this uh, the game itself, as I joked about earlier, is based on a Swedish artist's work, Simon Stalin the Hog. Um, I'm gonna butcher that, even though I have like a Swedish sister-in-law. She won't listen to this, we're okay. Uh, but uh, basically the art is largely kids, like really gorgeous art, like facing some weird, like super kind of like retro futurist technology stuff. And I remember that art coming out years before this uh, game came out. I think the board game actually, or RPG came out in 2017. Yes. Um, and he had worked with some others to basically make it into a series um, it kind of follows the theme of Kids on Bikes, which is one that I really love. It does uh, take it in a different light. Again, I don't know as much about the RPG, and Tessa, you can fill us in on it in a little bit here. But this series essentially follows that same concept where it's uh, basically the 80s, but everything is kind of like 1960s to eight to 70s, like retrofuturism. Um, and it's really like... This show basically follows the idea of, like, the D&D joke that there's just magic items everywhere, and it's amazing that more people don't kill themselves every day. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised those parents let those kids, like, step out the door, because all the parents had experiences with these, like, MacGuffin objects. And I just I just don't know why they even let their children leave the house. Be like, nope, just if you see something <laughs> weird, don't touch it. I'm exactly. surprised how calm everyone is with everything here. Like, certain things happen to people that are, like, mind-blowingly strange and bizarre and possibly lethal. And everyone just kind of goes, yeah, mm-hmm. that's just what happens here. <laughs> yeah, this is basically a town full of kids from every plot from, like, you know, an Amblin movie where you're just like, man, you're handling an alien really well. And this is, like, a town full of people just doing that every, like, other day. Um, there's, It's kind of set in vignettes, but there is a through line throughout the season. The main family that we follow... Um, I can't see the last name here on Wikipedia because they barely mentioned the show. I think it's the Wilbies. Yeah, so it's yeah. Uh, mostly Rebecca Hall uh, and then her husband played by Paul Schneider. And then their two sons being played by Duncan Joyner and Daniel Zolgardi. Yeah, uh, they're the main family. We spend the most time with them or at least elements of that family. But they all kind of interconnect where they tell a semi-cohesive narrative with individual stories. And I think that's the best groundwork to lay for this series, unless you guys have more you want to add to it. Well, the main thing to, uh, to explain, too, is that the big thing affecting the world here is this thing called The Loop, which is a research center revolved around this you know, just strange and bizarre artifacts and things that yes. they're examining. Ooh, uh, ooh. Uh, I googled it. Uh, it is a, um, a collider that was turned on in the 50s. And because mm-hmm. that happened, it shaped the way everything was happening. So that's the idea is it's a positron collider that they turned on back in the day. Yeah, and then somehow that spewed out a bunch of like alien artifacts, like these like oh. echo chambers and weird devices and just insane stuff all around this small little Ohio town. It it seems to play on the idea of the multiverse where it's not just like aliens show up all of a sudden. It's it's almost like little bitty bits of technology from other worlds that that still are linked to those other worlds uh, keep showing up because of the collider. And so there's like bits of time travel showing up surprisingly often actually. Uh, There's... (laughs) shifts in location and there's always cohesive rules and you always can see how maybe this would have been something that was tested somewhere Uh, but it just ends up in the middle of their Ohio 
woods, forests, or the plains. I mean, there's like a desert at some point, yeah. so I think. Uh, but Tessa, how do you? What do you think of the series? How do you think it relates to the games? Do you have a little bit more knowledge on that? Well, I mean, it was like you guys said; it was based originally off of an art book that was kind of like a, a storybook. Um, but it definitely has some like sci-fi. Like I describe it as like a sci-fi Norman Rockwell painting. Um, which <laughs> That's so ver- perfect. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and so like Simon uh, Stallenhag, he definitely, I think one of his paintings was very much taken from, it's called the, um, oh God, what's it called? The Gleaners, it's a, the people that were like farmers mm-hmm. um, by, I think it's called Henry Millet, I think is French painter. But anyways, in the background, there's like robots and shit. And so basically like <laughs> taking these very normal everyday paintings that are classical paintings and then injecting them with something sci-fi and even like the architecture and the interior design, like you guys said, the um, Hadron Collider they turned on in the 50s, or was it 40s? But there's basically like architecture from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You don't know what time it is. It's like no. they have rotary phones, but then they have like cyborgs. And it's basically like the retro futurist Ohio that never was. I was just going to say about the design of like the world itself is so the like – 60s postmodern design like all the houses are very much that design and mid-century modern and mid-century modern yeah yeah Yeah. and there's some industrial aesthetics obviously too and then there's like people live in a farm and that's all very quaint um but yeah it kind of runs the gamut of 50s to 90s and you know all this stuff to set up is to just get to the point that i want to say this show is amazing (laughs) <laughs> if I haven't made that clear already to my contained enthusiasm, uh, I don't know what you guys feel, but I feel like this is one of the better sci-fi series I've seen on television in quite a while. I, I mostly agree with what you said. I think it's almost amazing, but it is still one of the better sci-fi shows I think we've seen in a long while. Um, so I think the show did a lot really well, particularly telling pathos-driven stories. Uh, There wasn't a single episode that I was not emotionally involved in every single main character, which is more than I can say for almost any other anthology show I've ever seen, or especially anyone where every episode is its own story. Um, Although the weakness I had with it, or what bothered me, was... Because so much of the series itself revolves around basically these two families, and really it's this one family, uh, the descendants of the person who literally started the loop, um, I ended up wanting more of a through line than we got. Like, this worked very well, I think, as a miniseries, and going like, okay, cool, this is a collection of stories, this is a unique world where sci-fi is fantastical and outlandish, and totally in the background and nobody even pays it any mind. And I love that, but there's enough hints of them going, no, no, there is a macro story as well as these micro stories, but I don't think they ever really got around to telling that. And it's something that, while it didn't bug me as much when I came out of this season, I know that going into like season two or three or any, any others after this, I'm going to need them to focus more on some kind of universal macro story. So there's a reason why we're following these particular people. Are they greenlit for a second season? I don't know. I hope so. Yeah, not yet. It's way too early for them to greenlight this, especially with the coronavirus stuff going on. For sure. 
And then one one other thing to call out really quickly, like I, I kind of made the comments about how this is like the family friendly Black Mirror. Um, most of the episodes on the surface are really sweet and emotionally evocative and lovely with a little hint of bittersweet. But episode two and anything re- revolving off of what happens in episode two is maybe the bleakest, most emotionally crushing storyline I have watched in a sci-fi show in forever. Like, as that episode was spooling down, I was sitting here going, it's like, no, like, are no. you really going to end there? Because holy fuck, do you, do you realize what you're doing? Like, oh my God, that is so fucked up. What this, oh no. Yeah. yeah. Episode two was one of my least favorite, as me and Justin discussed, not because I think it's a bad episode of television i think part of it is i just really didn't really care for the two lead actors and i really don't like the the really stupid teenagers going huh this is a really bad idea we should definitely keep doing it See, type of thing that's the thing where i actually you know we had a debate on this one with ben and i and the reason why i love that episode so much as aaron does along with the dark twist that happens with it I suspect that the reason they did that decision was evident from the get-go when you realize what the other guy's motivation was with it you're like oh He's an opportunist, and he saw exactly what he could do with this ability the instant that it became clear what was going on. So I will say, yeah, and I'm for that. I will, though. I will say it's like he also realizes the exact way his friend could have just helped him if he just asked him for help. But that's a whole other problem. I will say though, I love the end of that episode because that is most certainly the darkest end to an episode in this show. Season finale, maybe, but it has a very big, much more optimistic turn at the end of it. Mm -hmm. But that one, I loved how dark that got because I do love some darkness to this. Um, But as far as what you're saying with Black Mirror, me, Aaron, uh, me and Justin had a lot of talk on this we both were kind of coming to it's not actually black mirror this is like classic twilight zone where everything is a moral comeuppance or a moral story told at the end uh where it's not just completely bleak in technology because black mirror is more about like the fault of humanity as a whole and you know us following the social tropes this is more of a moral story it's like a it's like a fable using you know uh, present day mixed with sci-fi which is kind of what you know, the classic Twilight Zone was. And that's kind of what I love about it is it hits a lot more of that Twilight Zone vibe than Black Mirror. I know people who were turned off by Black Mirror for just being too dark or trying, you know, for that. This, when it hits dark, it hits hard, but it feels more like comeuppance for decisions made. But even even in episode two, you know, the one who comes up the most behind on that one is also, yeah, he kind of, you know, was wanting to do other things as well and he kind of got that come up it's for not you know loving himself more or less but even then like the thing i love about how they temper the darkness is that like aaron and everyone else has been hinting at there's a good moral heart to what they're trying to do with every story even at the worst of situations they try to find some kind of silver lining or a philosophical explanation for it like what the, the situation for the character in episode six that dude is in a situation that he can never probably get out of but they offer you know, a, a, a middle ground is saying, okay, given what he's been into, how does he move on past it? Like, what's done is done. And I feel like yeah. that's like a situation with a lot of the stories is that the reason why I'm not so bothered with the macro story stuff is because most of these situations happen to people who have no connection in terms of the greater forces at work. Like, they work in the loop, but they themselves, when things happen to them, they can't stop it. There's literally nothing they can do in a lot of these situations. Expect, well, some more than others. But it's just how people handle things that are thrown at them, you know, curveballs and that such. And I think on the whole, it really, really works because they always end at some point where you think, yeah, 
that was a very simple moral lesson, but it was a very profound moral lesson at the same time, too, with every episode. Just to clarify, I, I think my issue with the macro story, it's not this season. It's me going, if the second and third seasons are exactly like this, I'm going to grow uh-huh. impatient. Uh, like, in this season, my only issue with this season is that that second episode in is so profoundly dark, if you really think about it, that we revisit that situation from different angles, one, two three four more times in this show and every time it came up and moved it a little bit forward i was like yeah you're moving a little bit forward but that still is fucked up and it never that particular situation never untangles itself and oh my god i felt so bad for that family it just it hurt it's still great television but oh but yeah it it, it hurts but it's a good it's a good hurt good it's honestly it's it's the future show is it a good hurt Sometimes, like that's the thing. Is like, in, in, like in Black Mirror, that kind of situation would be handled so bleakly and cynically. And in here, mm-hmm. it's dark, but it's also saying, okay, now that we are in the situation, what else do we do? You know, what else? There's do that you do? moment of acceptance and trying to take the, you know, trying to take the best of it at the end of that episode, which is like, like you can see and feel the hurt and defeat, but it's also trying to be like. This is something I just have to move forward from, and I kind of really love that. So, two yeah. things. One, uh, A, uh, I cried at Echosphere, the, the oh. episode. Oh, yeah. That's the first one I did. Yeah. yeah, that's the one that got me. Uh, I wept my whole way through that. Uh, oh, and you know why you cried? Because it's Andrew Stanton who directed Wally and Finding yeah. Nemo who did it. And a surprise favorite episode was episode three, where the person freezes time. Uh, I really love episode three. That was such, you're talking about like that, that beautiful emotion and heartfelt idea, but also with a, let's not bullshit. This is kind of a dark and messed up world combined together. That's perfect. Uh, Because it's it's that perfect idea of like, okay, yes, it sounds romantic. We're going to freeze this moment. And the moment you lose control of that, everything unravels and the way their relationship starts to move and evolve with being stuck in a frozen moment was delightful i thought they did a great job building real characters and actually uh, the girl who was kind of the main character of that story (laughs) ended up being one of my favorites of the season because i wanted to see what happened with her next see because i i liked her as a character and as an actor i just found her to be such a brat in some ways too where i'm like i get why you know some of the extreme situations that stuff but also a lot of things that happened to her were her own fault in oh, oh yes absolutely well, and she was a everything that happens to everyone but, here is their own fault that's kind of the point i mean whether it's mostly it's just out of curiosity or just plain ignorance you know that they don't know what they're doing is going to have dire repercussions because this town is so like freaking upside down crazy with like technology that you you don't know you're going to go inside a box and then come out you know different or what have you so i mean i can't really i can't really fault any one of them except for like maybe like one character for being selfish but the rest are pretty you know i could i could excuse i just imagine like somebody walking home from work is like hey honey uh, i just took a walk down the street and i grew a third arm uh what do i do now yeah and everybody's like oh again babe and the one, the, the, i think the important thing is that even though like the characters make terrible decisions in every single episode and yes. people do horrible, bratty, cruel things. There's not a single moment that I felt was 
unearned or unhonest. E- even that girl in the freeze time episode who was a total brat. She's yeah. also exactly what girls that age or teenagers that age are like. Like, like when she and the guy got into their first kind of tiff, I was like, oh, I've had that exact kind of an argument. Granted, mm-hmm. a lot less specific about those particular issues, but still, it felt right. Well, yeah, that that episode, I think what's so great about it is that it is literally that whole look at young love where it feels like the world stops around you and this is the most important thing to you. And then that second that reality kind of comes into it when they're both like, we can't stop. We can't go back. It's like that's that moment when you just go something real has happened in your life. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're stuck together now. Shit. We don't have options. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and I love the parallel between her family life and what builds up there. That I think that's one of the most well-conceived full episodes. And also it has one of the first moments where I really stopped and said this show stylistically is great. And me and Justin again talked about this because we can't shut up when we're watching a show to review. <laughs> uh, but the scene, the, the, there's a, one sex scene in the whole episode, even though it's the whole about the romance, and it's, you know, them literally, like, in the middle of town, because, like, we can do this. And it's shot at a distance to kind of really capture that moment of they're literally, the world around them means nothing to them. It's stopped. This is about them without having to be, you know, the full gratuitous TV show looking at sex. And that's something the show does so well, Did, uh... is it captures moments in ways you do not normally see in movies or TV. Uh, there's a great scene in Echosphere, the fourth episode, where he, uh, where Jonathan Price, who's fantastic, fantastic in this show and i wish he got more than one episode just to him but where he breaks down crying and the camera doesn't even follow him and it just builds to it and then i also want to mention the one in uh the seventh episode enemies where the the kids on the island and it's building up tension the camera just does a 360 around him it doesn't even show anything it's just amping up that isolation and that kind of desperate feel for him and i'm just like this Mm -hmm. show just it challenges, you know, the way things are usually shot. And I really adored that about yeah, it. Yeah, that, that first half almost felt like it was setting up for loss to happen. <laughs> you know, with just the yeah. way that... <laughs> but that's which also, love. that episode shot by or directed by Ty West, which yeah, is Yeah, I was just going to so say awesome. that um, one of the things I love about this show is the talent they got behind the camera. Because uh, every episode was written by the creator of the show, Nathaniel Halpern. But yeah. they got some really good directors. Uh, the first episode was done by Mark Romanak, who's like a master video uh, music video director. Yep. Uh, and then Andrew Stanton, as I mentioned. Uh, Ty West, as you mentioned. Jodie Foster directed the last episode, which was I didn't even notice. I'm like, whoa, wait, really? That was her? Um, Executive produced by Matt Reeves. Yeah. And the, yeah, the show, like you said, just has this gorgeous quality to it. But what I love about the quality is not just that it's pretty, but it's pretty without being flashy. Just in the way that um, uh, Stalin Hogg's art is done there's never a point where it feels like it's like oversaturate the colors a ton and never has to do like crazy tricks. It's very stable, stationary, very lighting based photography. And it's so pretty. You can just pause almost any moment in this show and it's just gorgeous to look at the entire time. Yeah. It just kind of feels very clean and honest as far as like the cinematography goes. Yeah. I will say the one gripe I actually have with this season is grape or gripe. Does it gripe. <laughs> Grape is my grape gripe. It doesn't, they, they were, they held too religiously to their runtime being 
roughly 60 minutes or 50 minutes to the point where some episodes really do just go a little bit too long or a little bit too slow paced. Uh, The first episode, I really like it. It has a little bit of that, but I felt it moved. One of the things I didn't like about two is I felt like it just things that could have been kind of sped along or a montage were hung too long to get to the next point. I really didn't like episode five because that one, it just felt like things that could have been a montage about, you know, the dad patrolling the neighborhood instead of it was like trying to build tension for something really horrible to happen, which I don't think ever really connects there. It's not every episode. I really think three, four and seven, especially just move. Six is pretty great too, but it's like enough of them have moments that drag them down for me um, that it's not a negative against the whole show, but it's like next season I'd like them to just like get some more freedom to tighten things up because they're building up tension for like super worst case scenario and two makes you think of how bad it can be and nothing else ever really gets that bad. But that's the thing I like about it. I think that's why I actually liked Five quite a bit, is that Five is built on a very internalized conflict. And especially because I love that actor playing the dad, uh, Dan, uh, sure, Dan Bechtel. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the thing that I think is that the pacing is very deliberate because it is a very slow, very painterly almost look to it. Because, again, it's focused on giving this very art aesthetic throughout all the shots. So all the pacing is also filmed to appreciate and soak in the imagery. Uh, and I feel like that works more than it does. There's a few moments where there's like, yeah, maybe there's like one scene too many kind of thing. But I was never really bored. Like, I was never no, bored watching no. this. I, I, I it's not like, action-packed, like, say, like, Stranger Things. Like Not even I a first, little. When I first started playing the board game, like, when, when it was described to me, it was kind of described as, like, a mystery of the week, kind of, like, kids on bicycles and nostalgia, but sci- a bit more sci-fi. And it was kind of described as Stranger Things-esque. But the series definitely doesn't like kind of hold to that in any kind of way. Um, the action in it is very slow paced. I, I, I would say it's a very slow boil. And so if you're going into this thinking it's Stranger Things, you will. That is not what this is. Actually, um, like, no. I'll, I'll second Ben's point because as much as I love all the character work in this and I think all the stories are very emotionally evocative. Th- a few of them could have lost like maybe five to ten minutes. It, it's That's not. What I'm saying it's is, not that I ever yeah. get bored. It's just that like even the dad episode, the the episode five, which I loved. I cried a bit in that one too because it's all about a dad trying to protect his family. And again, it's tied to the episode two downbeat as hell plotline. So yay tears. But even <laughs> though I was totally into it and I was into the story, you still could have cut about maybe six, seven minutes out of the second act and not lost anything mm-hmm. uh, from that, a that's narrative my point. standpoint. Yeah. And, and like even Parallel, which is the one about the gentleman who travels to another world. And that's one of those that has a really interesting end that's kind of a holy shit, what do you do now? I was into the whole episode, but it it repeated a few things towards the end where I was like, you know, I get this. I get what you're trying to do. Move on. Well, let's see what happens next. Uh, My point was not that it needs to be, wasn't that it should be like a 30 minute series or something like that. It was, it was that you're on, you're a digital streaming show. You don't need to have time for commercials. You can play with runtime. And Netflix does that a lot better than Amazon does, letting them play with runtime. And there is some variation, usually between five minutes between these episodes, I believe. But just some of those ones, yeah, they could have knocked off five to ten minutes on some of these. And it would have still felt as painterly and as well built up 
but it would have just also moved a little bit more to kind of keep the energy and tension that it built up. I think you've just been spoiled by the Mandalorian having like a 25 minute episode and then a 50 minute episode after it. <laughs> I haven't even had time to watch it because I can't afford Disney Plus. <laughs> you could watch all of Mandalorian in the time you watch two episodes of Tales of the Loop. Just saying. Yeah. That's because you keep rewinding to catch the stuff in the background that's going to show up three episodes later. <laughs> but, you know, and that's, I just got to praise the cast so much in the show too. Like you got so many great actors in here like Rebecca Hall is a all these other people, John the Price, uh, Jane Alexander shows up in this. Who I haven't seen in anything in a long time. Uh, she's the uh, John the Price's wife in the show. And I'm like, oh, she's yeah. she's great. Like, just Can I just she does do. Say though that Rebecca Hall, her character, once you reach the end, I th- can't think of a filmic character who has had a more disappointing and kind of just sad life uh, when you really think about all the horrible trauma that she's ended up experiencing from childhood to uh, senior citizen life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a rough go for her, but for sure. You say that, but uh, Paul Schneider's character is so fucked over by his own, like, paternal family like his dad like legitimately cuckolds him with his semi-son and with his grandson like there's that literally the moment where he comes he's like oh hey, dad you came to see me oh no i'm here for for your son uh yeah. nice to see you though son have a good day oh that was like, such the a whole hard time scene he wants, it. <laughs> he wants it so bad and he doesn't get it and i'm oh, just like that whole episode I'm like dude you you have a really shitty relationship with your dad even the mom in the in the the was it the the seventh episode is like it's like yeah you and him didn't really talk and you just see it in his eyes like yeah mom you were really big help with that weren't you (laughs) (laughs) oh man and when you see his backstory because at first you're like okay he's just kind of around he's in the background you sense the tensions and then you get his central story in like episode seven you're like oh that makes a lot more sense now why you're so messed up (laughs) oh good times I still yeah. kind of want to rewatch this, especially the episodes I love the most. Let's do it quick. What's uh, top two favorite episodes? I'm going to go with probably Echosphere and Stasis. Damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one. So but, uh, Aaron you know, has I, the same answer. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Aaron. No, no I, he said same one. I have the exact same answer. It was Stasis <laughs> and Echosphere. Enemies, uh, was, enemies in Parallel were very close for me, too. Yeah, I would say that uh, Echosphere and actually I really loved Home, the the final episode. I thought that one, just some of the concepts that they introduced through that and the way they address certain topics, I just, it really had a great emotional impact for me. And especially that one major montage that happens in the middle when you see all the stuff that happens in between that time gap. You're just like, oh, my heart is breaking right now <laughs> around that. Uh, Tessa? Um, yeah, I'm definitely good with Echo Sphere as well, which was, yeah, the first one that made me cry. Um, something fierce. I'm really kind of torn on a, a second, like, for top two. I did, you know what, I really did kind of end up liking Enemies. When it first started, I thought, what is this, you know, Lord of the Flies nonsense? Where's my sci-fi? <laughs> and it eventually got there. And when it did, I was I was very happy with it. So um, I liked getting that background story for the father character and that one. So I'm going to go with Echo Sphere and Enemies. 
You know, and I will say, I messaged Justin as I got halfway through enemies. I'm like, so are the enemies really the friends that ditch us on an island? Because I'm all for that. That's a really good theme. <laughs> yeah, those those friends of his are total jerks. Oh, dude, they honestly. were. The I think worst. they would have gone to jail in real life. Like, I mean, it was the 40s. Come on. When that all happened, I was just like, Jesus. 40s, 90s. Killed them. (laughs) I will also say um, that that episode, guys, prepare yourself for it. If you have an issue with, you know, a little bit of body horror in one scene, that like even my like hard and fantastic fast soul was like, Okay, that's pretty disgusting for oh, that yeah. one moment. Really? That, that I admit that episode didn't bother me at all. My biggest thing with enemies was I spent half of it going, oh, cool, here's an episode that's not about someone related to that core family. And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> never mind. Oh, no. The, the poor <laughs> naive soul. You got seven episodes in and you thought that was going to happen. Yeah, I'm no, crazy. the instant that I saw the uh, – there was one thing that happened early on. I'm like – Oh, I see what's happening. Oh, no, I, I didn't even get it till he appeared armless. And I was like, oh, that's who that is. I, I got it when when you saw the kind of disgusting body horror part where it's just like covered oh, in bugs. Like, oh, God. Mm. Good. Oh, man. But, you know, and even like, again, like there's so much you can say that's both good and bad in some episodes in terms of like what you like or don't like. I think all the episodes are great. But even like episode six, which I ended up loving a lot. It was that thing I also argued with Ben about where I'm like, yeah, you know, I totally get this guy's plight, but if he pulled that stuff with anyone around me or with any of my friends, I would definitely not be as understanding as the people in that episode. Mm-hmm. And again, my, my thing on that, which you guys can let me know on this, is the reason why I think it's not is a thing that the other him thinks is okay is because the other him is like, yeah, I was that version of me, and I totally get it. I'm mad at you, but I get it. Which is not what the other version of Justin would be, because he was not that guy. Well, and, and let's be <laughs> other honest. person of Justin's a very understanding person, but... Well, you know. the, the other Justin actually drinks, and he actually curses with us. It's terrifying. Yeah, but yeah the, the, Nega Justin is a very scary dude. The, the <laughs> parallel versions kind of had a semi-polyamorous relationship going on. So I, I think that... Mm. Uh, that that kind of thing probably was far less of a big deal for him in general since, you know, the guy stuck it wherever he could anyways. Oh, and I found out, too, the guy who directed that episode was Charlie McDowell, who did The One I Love, if you remember that film. Oh, yeah. I will say, you know, I I just found birding to be very confusing terminology to use for giving your clone self a handjob. I mean, that's clearly what was happening. Uh. But, you know. (laughs) Wait, what? Look... (laughs) I'm is, sorry, is there's no joke. other way. <laughs> Look, I'm just planning for when I get to my parallel universe. We can move oh, on okay. to Final Thoughts. Oh, no, 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 let's be honest. No, no, this is an important distinction to make. I think in the real world, if you ended up in a parallel universe and met yourself, you would probably totally end up giving yourself a hand job. Like, it's just... It, Especially it, it, it if is you're a is. gay character. I have expected them to have a threesome at mm. some point. Because I'm like, come on. This is exactly what somebody who's interested in guys would do if they were there you know in another universe with another them and their beautiful husband. You know Come what? On. Come on. We're all on a spectrum. I don't even think you have to be truly gay. I mean, nobody knows your body better than you. It's going to be good. I'm just saying. The no. best sex no, I've ever had. I'm just saying that's why I pictured the threesome because Question. it just made more sense for me. Is it incest? It Okay, let's. <laughs> it's just really, really simple masturbation, you know, with an extra step. Oh, there you go. I had to ask. There is you it go, technically? Ben, ben has okay. it right. No, it's technically complex masturbation. Mm. 
Uh, any, anyway, why don't we move on to final thoughts? <laughs> I love doing those jokes with Justin on the microphone. It's so good. <laughs> I, look, I can talk dirty if I want to, but <laughs> we're but reviewing a TV show. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's okay, Justin. You, you can keep telling us that on microphone. We, we know we're fine. I'm not as innocent as you think. But you know what? I, I can start with a final thought, and then we can just wind down everybody else, too. Sure. Um, sure, if you want to stop us from talking, that's a great way to do it. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, but also, we're also clo- closing in on 40 minutes at some point, so let's just get this yeah. going. Because oh, I, you know, I, we've all voiced our pros and cons of this stuff. I love this show. I, I, I just cannot restrain how enthusiastic I've been about this. Because I, I knew I was going to like a lot about it when I saw the trailer, but I just... I really started to fall in love with what the show is doing, and especially because along with what we were saying about this very artistic, painterly approach to it, there's a lot of stuff in the episodes that isn't spoon-fed to you, which I really appreciate about the storytelling. It's a lot of emotionally reading how the visuals are working together with the you know way the narrative is presented, and there's stuff even Ben and I argued about. I'm like, oh, I thought this meant this, or I thought this was laid out the entire time, or I didn't think this was this, and I think. There's nothing wrong with that way of interpreting what happens in certain episodes because a lot of it really is just what you make of the situation. Like even Echosphere, a big talk within it is about the nature of do you exist after you die? Do you uh, deal how, – how do you deal with death in a world like this? And it never fully answers those questions, but it gives you room to breathe and think about it for a while. And Echosphere. I read the- Sorry, yeah, I was I just going to say, Echosphere had the one thing and only one thing in the entire series. I don't understand what happened. And I'm actually going to ask you about this after we're done recording now. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, and I don't know either. Don't worry. I, I couldn't figure out what that was that meant. <laughs> but I love that. It's kind of like a David Lynch thing almost. We were just like, I guess that's supposed to mean something, but I don't know what. <laughs> well, at least I'm um, not the only one. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, absolutely. I totally agree with that one. But otherwise, I thought this was great. Even the part, the episodes I wasn't as crazy about in comparison, there was still so much to love about them. And it's just, it's gorgeous. It's hauntingly beautiful at points. I immediately started listening to the soundtrack on YouTube when I found it because it's just such gorgeous music throughout it. Uh, and now I really want to play the, the tabletop game. Like I'm, just, I, I'm sure it's going to be very I'm different. Guys, we got to do a campaign. Uh, yeah, soundtrack is on Spotify too, by the way. Yes, indeed. No, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, Amazon it's... Music. Amazon Music. Obviously. Yeah. I'll go figure. Oh, of course it is. But yeah, no, people, uh, I will just give you the warning. Like everyone's saying, this is a very glacially paced show. It's very slow. It's almost, it feels very European in its tone. Like, again, because it's from a Swedish creator kind of thing. So just go in knowing that, that it's a show that expects you to invest a lot of time into its rhythm and that kind of such. But if you do, you're going to be very well rewarded by this show. So uh, I know... It's, it's got a mixed reception from some critics. It's like at like 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is too low, personally. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to give this, if I can raise it up, 9 out of 10... Uh, 9 out of 10 interesting conversations with deaf girls. Living deaf girl. <laughs> Living oh, <God>. deaf girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you should have just gone to your final thoughts and saved yourself, but you didn't. So <laughs> now... I'm just saying, Ben, that joke was very tone deaf. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, 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 guys. I, I'll go now. I'll go now. Please just stop the puns. Um, yes, I go. Talk over them. Shout so, at them, please, for me. Like Justin, I, I also Damn really it. like this show. Uh, I won't lie about it at all. I loved it. Um, I was hooked instantly from the moment I saw uh, Philip Glass's name and got into the tone of it. You're right. 
and that the pace it's very sedate it's very cold and calm no one ever really yells or gets loud it's it's a show that's more about it feels like an anthology show from a 70s sci-fi book series where like they, they really want to explore ideas just for a little bit and play with them they don't really have to make necessarily any real sense in the larger grand scope but those individual stories are all awesome um oh yeah I, I, it feels like when i read irobot uh you know the old short story collection it's it's, yeah. it's got that same exact kind of pace to the way the stories play out so having said that though and actually i will just to heap a little bit more praise this is the prettiest show i've seen in 2019 or 2020 uh mm-hmm. i think it has the best score i've heard out of the television show in a while um it's great if you at all can handle slow moving methodical science fiction watch it however my issues um i i think that it does because it follows one family so much it internally feels like there should be a through line and there really isn't there there is no grand story and we don't know any more about the loop than we do at the end of the show than we do at the beginning of the show um and so that bugged me a little bit less in the context of this season like i said it makes me worry for how the show is going to hold up over time i think they're going to have to start delving into just some of the mysteries if only because we need something to kind of keep pulling us through this narrative that they're trying to tell um aside from that and a couple of episodes that could have used some trimming like this is great if you're down for heady sci-fi watch the shit out of this man uh i will give it um nine out of ten public sex scenes (laughs) all right and yeah so now tessa if you want to go ahead um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I want to try not to reiterate too much what everybody's already gone over, but it's going to be a little tricky. Um, so yeah, this is basically uh, a human drama with a sci-fi backdrop. And then we have a couple of plot MacGuffins, if you will. Um, so that's, that's kind of the place that sci-fi takes. Like, it doesn't take, like, the forefront. It's not you know, super pushed into your face. Sometimes it's just kind of lurking there in the background, you know, like that episode Enemies. I'm like, when's there going to be something sci-fi going on? And it it gets there. Um, But it is definitely, like I said, Glacier and Pace. Um, It is a bit slow. Uh, Did anybody else get some, like, Guillermo del Toro vibes from the underground laboratory, like, via Shape of Water? (laughs) Oh, yeah. A little bit, yeah. It also felt very Kubrickian. Oh, for sure. 100%. (laughs) Um, and then maybe a little bit of um, uh, uh, Event Horizon or maybe Sphere with the uh, center uh, room of the loop. You, you know um, what? Uh, control the game. I am convinced this oh. takes place in the same universe as Control the Game. That, that makes sense because, yeah, well, the episode's called Control too, so maybe there's some <laughs> there. Could really do it, yeah. So segue into, you should play that video game, Control. It's quite good. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Yeah, I definitely, I got, I got a bit emotional. Um, the Mark Romanek uh, episodes, um, he did really well. Like you guys mentioned that he did a bunch of music videos. He also directed the film One Hour Photo in 2002. Um, Great the, film. The yeah. psychological thriller featuring Robin Williams. 
Um, and then he did the music video Hurt for Johnny Cash, Closer from Nine Inch Nails, Criminal by Fiona Apple, which I jammed out to so hard in middle school. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so without reiterating too much, I also love this sci-fi series. And if I had to grade it, I would probably give it uh, nine giant mech robots pantomiming smoking cigarettes out of ten. <laughs> you know, thinking about that too, one thing I actually really liked about this show is that even though the visual effect work was kind of hit and miss on a few things, it didn't rely on them too much. Like anything that was visual effect stuff was very background and minimalist throughout the lot of the show too. What oh, effects yeah. didn't work? I, I um, there's that one part when they see the sinkholes in episode six, where I'm like, oh, that looked really rubbery. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I thought that was kind of intentional. Though, yeah, but, no, I, yeah, I so... bought into that because of the universe. But fair enough, fair enough. Sorry. Yeah, so yeah. from yeah, no worries. So for my final thoughts, I mean, yeah, we've kind of all said it. We all kind of really love this show. Uh, kind of with the reviews, like Justin was mentioning, this is kind of going back to like when we reviewed Witcher. It's something that I think is fantastic, and I think just a lot of critics just didn't know what to do with it or weren't <laughs> expecting it because I think it's fantastic. And any little gripes we had, even Aaron's gripe, which I think is more on His a grapes? broader scale, <laughs> those two, His sour uh, is. <laughs> It, this is something that I think, especially the next season, they can adapt, adjust from those and just really kind of expand on it. And I really love that they have that option. I hope they get there. Uh, it does really make me want to play the game. There's so many tabletop RPGs I have on my list that I still need to play. Mm-hmm. And this has just really moved up it. Um, I love this series to death. I actually called my father today shortly after I finished it. And I was just like, hey, I know you love you know the, the classic Twilight Zone I think, especially when we're all stuck at home, you'll really dig this, you know, and I I think he really will. And it's kind of something I want to share with a lot of people, and I plan to revisit a lot of it. Um, So I'm going to have to give it uh, eight and a half out of ten bipedal robots that just kind of are there for days and months and years on end. (laughs) Just lurking. Really quick before we go, I do want to say you can actually buy a lot of the artwork for not expensive prices. They're about Ooh. 40 bucks on canvas when I, I literally Googled Tales from the Loop artwork print and like you could buy it on metal or canvas and different mediums and they were about 40 to to $100 depending on size, which is not bad for prints. Yeah, I could do one better that uh, I have the prints, I mean, I mean I have the links for the prints and that stuff from the original website that they produced it from and they're all currently on like 20% discount for everything from the RPG game and the books too. So, Ooh. yeah. This episode brought to you by... <laughs> <laughs> brought to you by Free Rain. <laughs> we're not sponsored by Tales from the Loop, but if the Swedes want to sponsor one of us, we're all for it. Send us some schnapps. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally okay with some checks from the Swedes or Amazon. I'll take an Amazon check. <laughs> no, the Swedes, not the checks, please. They're, they're different countries, Aaron. I know you don't know Europe. Please oh. don't, stop making us look dumb. Damn. <laughs> 